Lord, help my unbelief. Amen. Help my unbelief. <clears throat> Amen. The time that we spend teaching during healing school is for that purpose, is to help unbelief. Now, Jesus is not um, trying to test us and grade us in the realm of faith. It's not about that. He gives us faith so that we can obtain his promises. So there are no games here. There's no uh, hidden agenda here with God. He really, really wants to help us. And that's his only purpose here. And so we will understand that everything that God does, he does for our divine good. Then we can accept the way that he has, has structured his kingdom. There are rules to follow here. Uh, because his kingdom is already established. See, if he were playing, you know, making it up as he goes along, it would be flexible. But his laws are established because his kingdom is established. And his kingdom has to function according to certain rules. And so he helps us to, so to speak, play by the rules. Or to gear our lives so that we, we live in line with his laws so that we can get maximum benefit from uh, our experience with him. So when we spend this time in healing school, it is very, very valuable time because this is where we lay the groundwork for your understanding, number one, to keep yourself healthy and healed. Number two, so that you can understand how healing works and you'll have the confidence and the faith then for the anointing to come upon you to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. And so it's very, very important that we spend this time in dealing with unbelief. And that's really what we're dealing with here. Jesus had healing schools himself. The Bible says that he preached and he taught. So whenever he would run into unbelief, he would take time out, preach, and teach. They were said that there were some cities he would go to that he couldn't do many mighty works there. Why? Because of their unbelief. But he didn't condemn those cities. He would go in and preach and teach. And so that's how you get rid of unbelief. You give people understanding. You give them knowledge. You give them enlightenment. And that's how it happens. It's unfortunate that somehow in the church... We have gotten this, this um, notion that we know everything already. Uh, don't shout me down because y'all better cooperate with me. Cause of <laughs> it is true. Or people get the impression that everything that they need will come to them. Huh? Now, you think nothing of, of moving out of town to go to college for secular education. But if you tell somebody, <clears throat> you know, why don't you, you get on the bus with us and go down to Cleveland, uh, Toledo for our monthly empowerment meeting. And people act like you've, you know, insulted them greatly, you know. Like. Or a lot of people don't want to get healed because they can't get healed at their church. They want, they want, I want to go to my church and get my pastor to heal me. See? You pursuing men or you pursuing God? This is the whole question. Yeah. If you look at people in the Bible, those people, remember the, the people that got fed the Happy Meal out there in the desert? 
Well, they had walked for three days. Come on now. They followed Jesus everywhere he went. Why? Because he had words of life. He had something nobody else had. And so there will be times where you will have to zero in on getting a need of yours met. And you'll have to go because nobody else has the words of life for you that that individual has. And God's not doing it just to put you through a lot of changes. He does it because you have a need and there must be a place where the anointing meets the need so that you can be fixed. It's just true. It's really just true. That's just the way it is. You know, we've gotten, uh, uh, I would say it's a lot easier now to get needs met because we've had so much teaching of the word. See, we've had a lot of uh, understanding of the word that's gone forth. I think what, is, what has happened, too, to a large degree, is a lot, uh, there's a lot of assumption on the part of believers that they understand more than they do. It's amazing. I will speak to people, give them the same basic instructions on how to get healed, and they won't follow the instruction because they think they've heard this before, and it just goes in the ear, and it never stops in there anywhere, and they accept it and receive it and embrace it and then obey and follow through on it. But Proverbs 4.20 says the word is medicine. You've got to take medicine. You give people a CD or a tape or something to listen to and it sits on the shelf. Huh? They don't take the medicine. Why? Because they assume they know it already. Just because you've heard a scripture before, it doesn't mean that it's working in your life. You want this word to be working in your life. See, the eastern people, I'll tell you what happens. The devil's people pick it up real quick. They'll go to yoga, meditation. They meditate on nothing with no promise of anything good happening to them. But they'll meditate just because they think it's the thing to do. And you give that to a believer and they don't want to spend the time. Well, I've been in church. You don't know. I've been saved a long time. You don't know how long I've been saved. Huh? Well, how long have you been sick? Huh? Come on now. So these things have to be understood, folks. They have to be respected. And when you go to help people to receive promises from God, you'll probably walk, uh, walk into some of the same resistance and the same unbelief. That thought that says, I don't need to follow these instructions because I know that. Or they have an idea that God is going to heal them a different way. Just by them sitting there, well, I'm saved. You know, God's going to heal me. Hmm? How, when, why, they have no clue. We don't like the dirty details. Huh? We don't like seeing sausage made. Amen. Just give us that sausage on the plate or on the bun and we're satisfied. But don't show me how it's made. 
And so this is how sausage is made, folks. This is how God gets people healed. This is how it's done, is by understanding the word, understanding what you're up against. And unbelief is the one challenge that the minister and the believer are going to have to tackle and subdue it so that they can come into line with God's word and receive what God has for them. So Jesus often helped unbelief when he spoke. Amen. So we're going to turn to Mark chapter 9. Here. Turn to Mark chapter 6 first because I want to make that point that I was trying to make with you just a minute ago. Mark chapter 6 and verse. I think it's verse. Yeah, here we go. Mark chapter 6, verse 4. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. So Jesus is looking to be able to do whatever needs to be done in every situation, in every meeting. But he meets up with something that stops him and he can't get beyond it, and that's unbelief. See, he could do, he considers just laying hands upon a few sick, not good results. Isn't that something? Isn't that what he says? He said he couldn't do much, no mighty work. He's looking to get everybody healed. He's looking to open blinded eyes. He's looking to raise the dead. But he can't do it because he meets this wall of resistance here. It's called unbelief. And he said he marveled because of their unbelief. It just blew his mind that there was such little understanding of the word, such little receiving of the word, and such little faith being demonstrated. And it says, what did he do after he marveled at that unbelief? In compassion, he went round about the villages teaching. So that's how that's the cure for unbelief, is teaching. Now, what is unbelief? I'll give you the definition. Um, let me see. Here it is. Unbelief, in 1 Timothy 1.13, unbelief is associated with ignorance. Paul said, I persecuted the church. I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So an unbelieving person is a person who lacks knowledge, number one. So that's why Jesus went about preaching and teaching because he he felt compassion and love for people and he knew the only cure for them and the only hope for them was to impart faith to them through preaching and teaching the word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so as Jesus would stand and preach and teach, that's the cure for unbelief. And so unbelief really also in Hebrews 3:12 is associated with an evil heart. That means a carnal heart, a heart that hasn't been softened, that hasn't been born again, a heart that hasn't been converted to the things of God. And so here's an evil heart of unbelief. And trust me, we can we can hear the word of God 
and make a decision not to respond to it huh? because of that evil heart. Think about if God tells you he wants you to give what you look in your, your check register and you think you're going to write out check number uh, 110 for, for $40 and give in the offering and you, you go to balance it and you see you have $400 left and he prompts you to give it all. Yeah, that. That's what unbelief. Because you're not mixing your faith with that word that he's given you. You're refusing to mix your faith with it. Huh? That's all really that happens to us. The Bible talks about those who died in the wilderness. It says their carcasses fell there because they did not mix the word with faith when they heard it preached by Moses. So they just refused to believe what he was telling them. And they kept going around the same mountain over and over again. A a trip took 40 years that really was supposed to be, the Bible says, some accounts say like an eight-day trip. Took them 40 years. God had such mercy on them, he let their clothes grow. Do you imagine the same dress for 40 years? Huh? I know, you know, ladies, sometimes we have some cheap husbands, but come on now. Huh? It says their clothes didn't wear out. So they had the same clothes, and it says the shoes didn't wear out either. So he would just grow new shoe leather on them. Just kept renewing the same things over and over again. It is sad because he had so much more in store for them. Huh? Make sure you mix your, the words you hear with faith. Because God will take care of you, but barely. Hmm? He'll make what you have last, but you won't have the desires of your heart. And they really wanted to go forth and conquer and receive. But they refused to take step number one, and that is to mix the word that they heard with their faith. It's got to be mixed with your faith. You can't let mom and dad believe for you forever. Can't let them do all the heavy work. You've got to mix the word with your own faith. Amen. There are some scriptures we don't like. Huh? Yeah. Huh? A bunch we don't like. They prick us the wrong way. But it's like the, the, uh, um, the little song says a little bit. Of sugar helps the medicine go down. Huh? So just God, God help me with to give me a little bit of sugar to help the medicine go down. And many times he'll show you what, what you could have if you would yield to him. And so this, this withholding your faith or releasing it and mixing it in with the word is really very important. That's step number one in developing your faith and getting rid of unbelief. You've got to, you have to donate into the process. Many times when the offering is, is received, the preacher can tell in the atmosphere, you know, everybody's worshiping, it feels good in there, and, and everybody's expressing their love to God. That's an expression of faith. You understand what I'm saying? You're... You're, because and it's a high expression of faith because you can't see him. What are y'all lifting y'all hands for? You ain't nobody up there that you can see. 
Huh? But in faith, you obey the moving of the Holy Spirit in the worship. Why? Because you want the benefit of it. Huh? It feels good to be in the presence of God. It feels wonderful to know you're accepted by God. It's great. But then when, when we say, uh, why don't we receive the offering? And I get that little feeble applause. And then the vacuum comes in. Everybody sucks their faith right back in again. I can feel it. I've done it. Huh? You know, it, it takes a while to get yourself kind of loosened up and trust. You know, everybody dives for the purse again. You know, you pass them forward to get them prayed over. Huh? And then offering time, they die for them again. So, I mean, this is a thing that we do. We protect ourselves with unbelief, don't we? Talk to me, somebody. Tell the truth. Sure, you protect yourself with unbelief. If you believed everything you heard, you'd be in terrible shape. So then unbelief really is a good thing in some areas. Now think about it. If I told you that, um, what can I find that doesn't look likely? (laughs) That box of Kleenex. And I told little Howard, I said, you can sit on that. That thing's strong. It'll hold you up. He sucked his faith right back in. And it's a good thing. Because if he were to believe that, he would find that that's not true. So unbelief really protects us in many ways. You put your faith in that chair to sit on it because it looks sturdy to you. And based on your experience with chairs, you figure you could trust it. So you sit on the chair, but you don't sit on the Kleenex box. Huh? You just, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. That's, you're not putting your faith in that thing. So you reserve your faith for something that is going to be useful to you because you know how precious faith is. Unbelief is like that. Sometimes somebody will say, um, uh, oh, it's easy to win a lottery. You know, I got a formula for how to win the lottery. You play this number, this number, this number, this number. I've done this many times, so if you do this, you'll win the lottery. Now, any, any Bible halfway believing saint huh, will say, nope, I got my trust in God. You put your, put your guard up. and, huh? Or like my late husband, he said, no, I can lose on my own numbers. I don't need you. <laughs> yeah, I want to donate to the liar. I know my own numbers. I don't need your numbers to, huh? But you see how unbelief operates to keep us in the, keeps our faith in the credibility realm. It keeps you from being disappointed by investing your faith in something that's not going to come to pass. Hmm? Let me see if I can give you another example. If somebody told you that um, next, next year this time... You would be married and, you know, the person that you marry would be the person of your dreams, so forth and so on. Would you believe it? Hmm? See, some would and some wouldn't. 
Because if you would have to have something very persuasive to push you over the edge to put your faith over in that. You got me? And so this is the purpose of God's word and the anointing. It depends, number one, on who tells you. It depends on how credible they've been in the past. And it depends on whether you want that in your life or not. You got me? And so these things, when they come to us, when words come to us, when promises come to us, if they sound too fantastic to be true, there's a realm where we don't want to invest our faith in that. Because it doesn't line up with, it doesn't seem reasonable to us. And it doesn't seem right to us. But it's the same thing with faith in God's word. There are times when God will speak things to us that don't seem quite reasonable or don't seem quite right. And we'll withdraw our faith from that. But I would say this, withdraw it only for a season. Because many times it can be God. And it sounds too good to be true because of what your experience is with where your situation is right now. You got me? The Shunammite woman that took care of the prophet and he came back and forth. every She built him a, a little place and all that kind of stuff. She would have been more believing had she known God's word. She didn't know anything that a prophet's reward was given to those who received prophets. She didn't know that. So she was coming into a knowledge of it, but God manifested that promise for her anyway. He just blessed her with it because he owed it to her. And so she was resisting. She says, oh, no, man of God. First, she said, I don't need anything. He said, what can I do for you? She said, I live with my own people. In other words, I know you serve God and I don't want no parts. I'm just giving you a nice place to stay. Huh? Then secondly, he said, this time, he said, according to the time of life, this time next year, he had to push the thing on her, you see. And that's what God does with us when, we, when he teaches and preaches the word. He pushes the reality of it on us. That's why many times you get a prophecy from God and, and you keep hearing the same thing over and over and over again. He's trying to get you to mix it with more faith so that you can receive it and it'll be real to you and it'll become a part of you. Because it's not going to happen until you receive it. It's not. You have to mix your own faith with it in order for it to become real for you. And so this is the job of the minister is to help you get beyond unbelief and get into the realm of faith. Many times God tells you things and they sound too fantastic. huh? And many times we don't mix it with faith because we just don't want to be disappointed. Just like the Shunammite, she said, oh, no, Lord, don't lie to, don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. See, that's a, unbelief is a protective thing. There's something about human beings. We would rather not invest our faith in something and go without than to believe in something and not see it happen. Hmm? We just would rather not get involved in it. We hate disappointment. And we hate extending our faith. That's why the Bible says those who hope in the Lord shall not be ashamed. You know, you go around and tell everybody God's going to do this for me. He's going to do that for me. He's going to do that for me. And then you, you get into living life and it doesn't happen. And you think, well, they're looking at me wondering. Huh? 
You feel conspicuous. You feel ashamed that you ever shot your mouth off. Because here it is 10 years, 15 years, and it hasn't happened yet. And so this is why unbelief, folks. Don't treat it like it's something you don't know nothing about. Because you're very familiar with this thing. It helps you. It protects you. It, it protects you against being deceived. Huh? God will never deceive you. But if what he's promising you seems incredible, you can feel like if you invest your faith in it, you're deceiving yourself. You ever go into a hospital and want to pray for somebody and you pray the word over them? And somebody in the room will look funny. Well, I don't think they should give people false hope. So there are people out there who will defend unbelief against the word of God. I tell people, I said, no, hope's the best thing you've got going for you. And when you hope in God, you're never, it's never false. That's the best true hope you can ever, that's the best thing you can do is put your hope in God because his word is true and it always comes to pass. And so when we talk about this thing, unbelief, you've got to understand it is withdrawing your faith investment from a promise. That's what unbelief is. You withdraw your faith investment from it and you refuse to mix your faith in with that thing. I don't want to get in the mix. Huh? That's what you say. Because I don't want to dis- be disappointed. I don't want... You know, I don't know anything about God, and we don't like to admit that. We don't know enough about God to expect him to do a lot sometimes. But you can get to know him. He gives you promises so you can get to know him. That's part of the hook, so that he can get you into relationship. We have needs. We know we need to go to him with our needs. And so when we go to him with needs, we've got to mix our faith in with that. You've got to have a faith investment in it. You can't just sit on the sidelines forever and watch what God's doing with other people. Watch <laughs> what he's doing. You got it? Huh? In fact, Brother Hagen would often admonish the, the people in his, in his audience when he would teach. And he would tell them, he said, now, the part that I'm doing now, the teaching, he said, this is just as important as the altar work. Because many times people are spectators. They like to come and see God do things, but they don't want to get involved in it. And so he said, if you're going to get involved, get involved on the teaching end of it so that you can have a faith investment in this. And then I can go ahead and heal your God can go ahead and heal you and do the work. So it's very, very important that you understand the purpose of teaching. Teaching and preaching is a cure for unbelief. Jesus always did it. And when he left, he left those people with more faith than they had before. So unbelief, the root word of it really means to convince someone by argument. You know, God is Alpha and Omega in all things. He gets the last word, period. He had the first word, he gets the last word. So what we are doing is we're giving God the last word in every argument that's out there in any human mind. Anything that you can think of why you can't get healed or why you can't do this or why God won't do that, we got to win, we win that argument with the Word of God. So that's what you're doing. You're being convinced by argument. So a person in unbelief is refusing to be convinced by argument. 
Unbelief means to refuse to have confidence. You just refuse to put your confidence and trust in God. Someone is unable to be reassured or assured when they have unbelief. They also refuse to be convinced by evidence or to assent to evidence. For instance, you, the reason we give testimonies during the healing services is so that those people out there who maybe have not had enough faith developed through the preaching of the word, well, this is the capper now. You know, if that didn't move you, we got this. You got me? <laughs> exhibit A, exhibit B. So we have people share the testimonies so that they have evidence, as much evidence as God can give that this is true. The other evidence that you have is the witness of the Spirit. Because the Bible says the testimony of Jesus Christ is the Spirit of prophecy. So they are prophesying to you that the same thing can occur in your life as well. So that's one of the highest anointings of convincing that you'll get is the Spirit of prophecy. You hear a prophecy and, and if you receive it, it'll get repeated in your life almost verbatim. The way it happened in the one that you heard. Uh, almost to the letter. Uh, and so you can, you can understand now why mixing faith in with what you hear is so valuable and so important. Uh, just relax your, your guard and let yourself hear and receive what it is that God has for you. It also means to refuse to believe. And to refuse to obey. So you see faith is also an action. So people in unbelief refuse to hear and obey. They shut their ears down to it. Sometimes when the word comes forth, there's a conviction. See, it's, it's, it's convincing by argument. So the Bible talked too about, you know, when the uh, early church would begin to preach. And they said that the, the, the people there could not resist nor gainsay. That means have another argument back with it. You know, it just blows their mind. When God, God's word comes in and his word is so strong and so final, God's word con, you know, contains all the wisdom of God in it. Well, what are you going to say to that? And so people would just shrug their shoulders, shut up, and move on because they couldn't resist it. And they couldn't have an argument against it. And that's how powerful God's word is. So when you preach the word, you just give people the word and, and let that word work on them. Amen. You know, I, I would say a lot of times I say, well, that word's going to follow so-and-so. You know, especially dealing with, with people who have difficulties, say, with family members. Or, or, you know, I said, well, you know, and they'll say, well, I told them so-and-so. And I said, well, that word's going to follow them. You see, it's living word. I know the word follows me. When I had to get saved, I had no recourse. I mean, that word worked me to death until I just said yes to the Lord. So when you give the word to people, that's the most powerful thing you can do, folks. Don't try to persuade them on your emotional mumbo jumbo. You know, the, the best persuader is the Holy Spirit. 
you give people the word of God and they begin to think and meditate on it. And that, that word is like arm wrestling. You know how you get two people almost equally matched. And then one of them finally gets the advantage and pins them down. That's what the Holy Spirit does with this word. All you have to do is continue to give the word and have confidence that that word is going to work and do what God says it's going to do. So we'll get to our example in Mark chapter 9. The story about the little boy, remember the little boy with epilepsy? We're going to talk some about him because <clears throat> this is where I got the, the uh, title for the teaching today. About Lord help my unbelief. In Mark chapter 9. Starting in verse 14. Now actually give you a little background here. Jesus had just been up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And oftentimes when he would take his disciples apart. He would take them for a season of demonstrating to them how to. Uh, get close to the Father, how to withdraw so that you can uh, restore yourself and, and get yourself restored as a minister. So he taught them a lot of good, I, I guess you would say ministerial protocol type things, how to survive <laughs> your ministry and not be a casualty kind of thing. And you, you saw where Jesus would oftentimes go apart to pray and spend time with the Father. Well, they, these were prolonged times sometimes. We know about 40 days fasting that he did from time to time. But this was when he went up to the mount and he was transfigured there. He totally was glorified. His countenance changed and the power of God was so great. Uh, he talked to Moses. They saw uh, Moses and Elijah. So he got to visit with his buds. You know, from hey man, we ain't seen you in a while. Yeah, I've been down here, I kind of rough down here sometimes, but I'm working on it. You know, and so they, you know, it's like meeting with old friends again. So they come back down from the mountain. It says in verse 14, he says, and when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. In other words, they were all excited about Jesus being there. So Jesus has this scene. He's been up on the mountain of transfiguration. He comes down to the bottom of the mountain where his disciples are. He has to meet him down there. And there's mass chaos and confusion. Mass confusion. They see Jesus. They run to him oftentimes looking for some help or something from him. And so immediately when Jesus sees the scribes questioning his disciples, he comes to their defense. Huh? In verse 16, he said, what are you talking with them about? Because he knows they're up to no good. See, Jesus will deal with all the difficult people, devils, situation that stand in the way of your ministry that stand in the way of your work for him he is your lawyer and your advocate so he sees he comes down there and instead of going to the sick boy or trying to heal somebody he takes care of business first so what are you talking to my people for why are you questioning them they don't belong to you they belong to me hmm? this is the way you've got to think about things there are certain things you don't have to answer Huh? 
as a servant of God, you don't have to be bothered with certain people and their infernal questions over and over and over again. You know why you don't want to be bothered with them? Because if you let them suck your soul over into where this is the purpose for the questioning. You got me? And Jesus did not want his disciples mixing their faith with the questions of the scribes. This is one of the primary tricks of the enemy to keep us uh, unfocused, keep us confused, to keep us from being able to hear clearly from God, and it will sap the anointing from you. You don't have to answer questions. In fact, you can tell people to be quiet and don't talk to you. Amen? Amen. Many times people who have, have had very uh, powerful healing ministries, they didn't come out and even shake hands with people on the way into the meeting. Because somebody can say, oh, I wanted to ask you a question about so-and-so, and you get... In fact, you can preach everybody's question that they ask you because those things get lodged in your spirit sometimes. You got me? So you have to keep your spirit. Your spirit is, is, is a womb, place of birthing, conception. Huh? So you've got to be careful to keep right seed going in there. Huh? Anybody ever been married to one person and your husband didn't want you playing around with nobody, did you? <laughs> we in a church many years ago and there was the, you know how little boys are with, with tall women. You know, they're like men are, they get instantly stupid when they see you, you know. And they, a little boy in the church, he was like eight years old. Anyway, I say, uh, call me Mrs. Aubrey. Mrs. Aubrey, Mrs. Aubrey. And so I guess my husband put up with it being nice long enough. And he said, do he know I'm crazy? I said, he's eight years old. And he mumbled something else I didn't want to repeat. But anyway, you, you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's like that. Aight. Huh? So that's why you have to protect your spirit. When you're carrying something, you're carrying the word of the Lord. You're carrying. That's why I'm careful about who sits on the front row. You know, because, you know, it never fails. Somebody will come in here. And get chatty, and I can't have a lot of chatty around me when I'm trying to hear what God wants me to minister prophetically. You guys come to hear what God wants to say. And I'm his servant, so I can't have a lot of people just chit-chatting and talking. But, you know, that's why Nola sits behind me. She doesn't look very big or, or very threatening, but she's there to make sure that I'm not disturbed. You understand what I'm saying? It's important. It's really, I'm not trying to be funny, and I'm not trying to be uh, exclusive, but I hear, I'm here to do a job for God, first and foremost, and you have to do what you need to do. You lose a lot of friends like that. You, you offend some people that way, but you have to do what you have to do. I wish I could hear from God and, and you know, have a lot of different conversations too, but it's very, very hard, and so I have to respect, first of all, what God has me has me to do and that is to keep myself in a place where my spirit is not infused with people's problems people's you know what they did last night and who's bothering them and all that kind of stuff because at some point it comes back up out of you when you start preaching so you can't hear all of that so you have to be careful about those things amen <clears throat> amen and you'll see how important this is in this story because that was the root 
of the disciples' problems right there was the questioning of the scribes. That's why Jesus attacked that first when he got down. He saw all this confusion. He saw disorder. And he zeroed in on the source of it. It's the religious spirit that the scribes carry. That judgmental thing that wants to make the servant of God insecure. And draw him off and make him feel like he don't have the goods. And until Jesus came down from that mountain, they were being successful. So here the scribes live in unbelief. They like their unbelief. They think they're right. They have the the, uh, Mosaic law or some perversion of it. And they run everything at the synagogue. Nobody can preach if they don't let them do it. Nobody can do anything around there. They certainly don't heal anybody. And they certainly don't do any good. Because it's just a religious system that's set up to feed them. And that's why they're so anxious to protect it. That's why sometimes you, you might go to a, a healing service and get healed. And you go back to your regular church and everybody wants to know where you went, what they told you, what you got. They question you. Oh, really? And even the ones try to be friendly about it. huh? And so you have to be careful about that because that's how people lose healings. You can go to a good healing service And God pour out his spirit and you get some and you go right home and tell the wrong person and they start to question you. Put doubt in there. See if they can infuse some more of their unbelief in there in your spirit. So that's why Jesus jumped right to their defense. He zeroed right in. He said, what are you questioning them for? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto you my son who has a dumb spirit and wheresoever he takes him he tears him or he throw he causes him to to gnash and and throw him around so this is a violent devil that's inside of his son and he foams at the mouth and he gnashes with his teeth and he pines away and i spoke to your disciples and they that they should cast him out and they couldn't Well, now we know why. They couldn't because they've gotten so much in the mix down there. Now the disciples are full of unbelief. Where the the scribes have blown so many holes in their faith. Well, who told you to do that? Well, Jesus. Well, you know, he's not really a prophet. You know, he's illegitimate. He's not. Well, he's not one of us. He's not one of our group. Well, you know, he can't do anything. Well, they're going to throw him out pretty soon. He's a blasphemer. So you hear enough of that and whatever that person gave you, huh? that's why it's good. You know, uh, people switch churches all the time. It's good to let those people go. You know, if they've disconnected from your fellowship, let them go. Because obviously there's something in them that has caused them to disconnect. But most often, they'll try and find somebody who's still connected to the fellowship so they can infuse them with their poison about the minister or what they do with the money or they don't do this right or they don't let you preach or they're not going to let you go anywhere in that church. You got me? And so when you see people disconnecting like that, let them disconnect. See, let them disconnect. 
If God tells you to pray for him, pray for him. But other than that, let God take care of his flock. You got me? Because pretty soon they will try to find an inroad into somebody else's heart. And and you'll see people fall like dominoes. You know, first it was that family left. And now it's that one gone, that one gone. Because somebody's pulling faith from them. And infusing unbelief. Where they have no confidence in that church or that ministry anymore. And now they'll go the way of the other people who are out there wandering in the wilderness. You got me? So always stay connected in the right way. Stay connected with your faith and be careful the type of people you're around and what they speak of regarding leadership. It's very important. Because this is how the scribes were able to pull so many people away as they began to attack Jesus as a leader and try and discredit him and to get people to lose confidence in him. And so he, the, the man then speaks up and starts to tell Jesus about his son. So there's mass confusion going on. The scribes are questioning his disciples. Here this boy's foaming at the mouth. He's writhing all over the place. And everybody's looking around in utter chaos. So Jesus has to come in and start bringing divine order and bring it back into a place where faith dominates so that he can work and he can get this little boy healed. And so we begin to see how he does it. He first attacks religious thinking. Hmm? So when you begin to minister to people, if you minister one-on-one to help people or you minister in an atmosphere where there's a meeting, you have to attack religious unbelief, religious thinking, traditions of men, the things that make the word of God of none effect. You've got to root those things out first. Many times when the preaching starts, we'll start to preach against tradition. It tells you Jesus doesn't heal anymore. It tells you you've got to jump through hoops to get a healing. The Bible says only believe. Believe only and not doubt. And so you have to get it back into the place where people understand the word and this traditions of men is taken out of the picture. And so here he's, this little boy is, is being tormented right before their very eyes. So the source of the unbelief is the scribes. And this often is done in the preaching. Scorners are silenced. You know what a scornful person is? They refuse to believe anything, even when it's God. Hmm? Oh, you want, really? You want to do that? Oh, really? Hmm? Scornful. Nothing ever pleases them. They have a, a, a judgmentalism. That makes them the one that decides if something's acceptable or not. Or they'd have to decide if something's right or not. Mm-hmm. Many times you'll see people like that. You know, they're controllers. They like to manipulate people. And, you know, always have their opinion. And, you know, oh, you go to church on Saturday? You can't have any. Oh, oh well. Can't have any Saturdays free? Hmm. You take them people that your money like that, all your money, you can't have any of your money for yourself that much. Mm, scornful. They, they don't respect anything. They're not under anybody's authority. They live to control and they live to put down and make people, other people around them feel insecure. 
So Jesus then begins to silence the scorners in the crowd. First he gets the religious people, the ones that kill the anointing, to make the word of none effect. Then he gets the scorners. The gospel of the kingdom oftentimes gets bound in tradition. You'll have some people in there that are saved and love God, but then they get trapped in the traditions of men. You can be saved, but this tongues business, that's wrong. That's of the devil. You can be saved, but healing went out with the apostles. That's that we don't do anymore. God doesn't do that anymore. So oftentimes the gospel itself can get bound in the traditions of men. And so we have to be careful that that doesn't happen because then that increases unbelief. You just shut down to the the word of God and you start believing what your denomination tells you instead of believing the word of God. You can tell a denominational spirit when it's involved. You know, you go to somebody and say, well, um, you know, we're we're here passing out flyers for our church. We want to invite you to our church here. And and, what kind of church? And you tell them, oh, I'm Catholic or I'm Baptist or I'm, you know, they'll they'll name a denomination so that it can something to exalt itself over what you have. See, it's a contest with them as to who's going to go the highest in this thing. And so very often they will exalt that denomination to exempt them from having to listen to you. I've already got something that I have and I don't need what you have. And it's like to get rid of you and you go on to the next house or something like that. And so this this traditions of men often will keep the gospel of the kingdom bound. That's what the Pharisees wanted to do. So Jesus finds that the disciples could not cast the devil out of this little boy. And, and then he has to, to find a way now to get faith back in to the, the situation and get this dad to mix his uh, faith with the word. Because right now the father's in a sad state because he wants his kid healed. But after standing down there, and we don't know how long this crowd has been down there, they've been listening to the scribes discredit the disciples. And they've been asking the 20 questions, now the 40 questions, now the 60 questions. And so this man has been doing nothing but having his unbelief increased because of what's gone on down here. So you have to be careful. That's why when you have meetings in, in people who have successful healing services they have a great deal of control over what goes on in that meeting they control everything from when the meeting starts where it's held who the ushers are what they do what the music is they definitely control the music they control their preaching they know exactly how long they're going to preach and what's going to have to happen in that atmosphere before they can start encouraging people to believe God for their healing So it's very, very precise. And so you can't have a free-for-all meeting with a lot of chaos and people saying everything and and people doing everything and adding their two cents in and all this kind of stuff. It, It must be a controlled atmosphere before God can come in and work. And the person in charge of the meeting has to know God so they'll know what it's time to do. Hmm? 
Because it can feel like it's time to do anything, but if you don't have a relationship with God where you know what it's time to do, then you won't do the appropriate thing at the right time. Y'all still with me? Or you? See, we need to know these things because people sometimes look and they think, well, she could do it. You know, the minute they see whoever's up here has got a skirt on, that's why I don't wear pants. Huh? I lax my skirts. But it's a, it's a badge to me anymore. You know? Yeah, God told me to preach and to do this. But somehow they think it's easy. You know, if a woman's doing it, it's got to be easy. Huh? Because I get that impression a lot from people. You know, they don't want to sit and listen and be taught. They don't want to understand things, how things work. You know, things work a certain way. And it's good to know how they work. Because then you can work them and work them successfully. Huh? And so I like having meetings like this because I can take my time and and explain some things to you that maybe you you just look at them and you don't know really how how they work and you might guess a little bit and try to figure it out. But it's much better to understand these things so that we can go on and, and have successful. You can have your own meetings. You understand what I'm saying? God puts it on your heart to do it, and he qualifies you to do it. You can do you can do better without a meeting. You can get so many people healed just in the supermarket. Just walk around and, and look gorgeous like God wants you to look. Huh? Put on your Holy Ghost bling and go in there and do your thing. Amen? And so we need to understand these things because they're extremely important. Extremely and and when you you control a meeting, the first thing if you're a woman, they there. You know, you get up there and you you didn't rebuke somebody, and the the next preacher gets up and starts want to preach on Jezebel. You know, well preach on her Ahab. You ought to know her, you little Ahab devil. She had a husband. This is why she did all that stuff. But anywho, we ain't going there. Where was I? Okay. Huh? So anywho. Alright. So then Jesus comes down. He has to sort things out. That's so important. Is creating an atmosphere where the power of God dominates. There's not a lot of free for all. There's not a lot of disorder. It has to be a, a Holy Spirit controlled atmosphere. And the person in charge of the meeting is the one who controls it, folks. It's not controlled by somebody who just comes in and thinks God sent them there with a special something. <laughs> special orders, don't upset, whatever. You know, it's all, everybody's always got something special. And God sent me here with something special for you. No, he sent me here with something special for you. Huh? I always feel like this. You go out there and pay them people $1,000 a day to be in here, and you go get enough people to get some equipment, and then you'll have something special for me. (laughs) So you can do all that and pay for your own meeting. You have nothing special. Never fails. You know, oftentimes if there's something, you know, 
Bishop Russell, I can tell when there's a preacher in the audience that has something to share. Because God will tell me to give the mic over to them or point them out in some kind of special way. And I'll say, well, brother, do you want to say something? It looks like God's got, you know, he'll tell the person in charge of the meeting. You know, we're not stupid here. So you have to respect the authority in the meeting. The person that's anointed is the one in charge of that atmosphere. And they have to know how to go along with God so he can get something done. So the first thing Jesus does is bring divine order into all that chaos. He gets rid of the problems. Verse 19, and then they, the, the man tells on the disciples, you know, your disciples couldn't cast him out. You know, well, he can't get his money back because he didn't pay nothing. So all he's got here is a complaint and an indictment, but it's an important complaint. And he answers him, Jesus answers him and says, Oh, faithless generation. He says this to the Father and everybody there. It's not just a rebuke for the disciples. In other words, the disciples are not the only ones required to have faith for this boy's miracle. There's faith required on the recipient too. So he blasts everybody. Says, oh faithless generation, how long am I going to tell you the same things over and over and over again? Uh, How long shall I suffer you or put up with you with this nonsense? And he says, bring him to me. And they brought him unto him. The... Bring him to me is, is a definitive shift in the atmosphere. In other words, Jesus says, I'm in control now. Huh? Devil, you step aside. I'm in control now. Once Jesus gets in control, he can deal with it from a minister point of view as well. Before, he was just straightening things out, getting the atmosphere sorted out to find out what the problem was. Now the ministry is getting ready to come forth. You got me? And so he says, bring him to me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, right away, this devil starts acting up. Huh? He starts ripping the boy and making him. You know, this is always true <clears throat> in, in places and situations sometimes where the devil's involved. They will try and intimidate the minister by acting up and doing their thing. Now, let me tell you what, what I did years ago when I talked to God about it. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, there's something about this business manifesting that I don't like. I said, number one, it kind of works up other people who are watching. I said, I don't know if the devil's trying to put on a show or he's trying to. I'm not intimidated because I know how to hold on to God and get the work done. I know how to stay in the anointing. But I didn't like the effect it was having on other people. And the Lord said, well, I don't either. I said, well, I'm going to make them stop. And so I just always bind the the. Uh, manifestation aspect of devils when I deal with them you know it, it helps me the other part of it too is that people who are receiving ministry I just felt they needed to have some dignity too 
You got me? I just never like to see, you know, and it seemed like it would always happened. some nice-looking lady with a nice suit on and something like that and would start acting up, foaming, and getting crazy-looking and crossing eyes and foaming at the mouth and stuff. And I just thought, well, if that person can't maintain their dignity, how are they going to submit to, I mean, it's too much for them. You know, they got to worry about who's watching and get healed too. So I just always tell the devil, you know, I can, you know, see where they want to get started. No, you don't do that. You stop it. You got me? And, and make sure that it's maintained because some people like deliverance. They run from meeting to meeting just looking for devils to manifest kind of as a form of entertainment now when i started ministering this was very common like in the in the mid 80s everybody was a deliverance minister and you had people barfing in bags and you had all this commotion and i just never liked it i just i know that there's some things that you can't help but there are some things that are excess and so i just always discourage the excess but anyway this devil throws this boy down and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. So <laughs> Jesus then takes up a conversation with the daddy. You know, like Heidi Klum. He's going to have a little chat. Huh? Zane. You know, that's her next word. You all seen Project Runway. You know, Heidi says, okay, you all go to the back. We'll have a little chat. See, when they have a little chat, when they, if somebody comes back, I need because they voted you off the island, stupid. Uh, so Jesus just picks up a little chat with the dad. And he asks him, um, what does he ask him? How long has it been? How long has this been happening to him? Like that makes a difference. Huh? Well, it may not make a difference to us, but it does make a difference. Uh, and I'll tell you the difference it makes. Jesus is asking this man, he said, uh, a lot of foam down there. How long has this been happening? Huh? And this boy's bouncing from one, he's all down in the dirt and mud all over him now, foaming, and the devil's writhing and carrying on. And he says, uh, since he was a child. And the dead begins to talk more. He says that oftentimes it casts him into the fire, into the waters to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So Jesus' questions to this father are very important for two reasons. Number one, he needs the father's permission, faith, and cooperation to help this boy. Because children are always under the parent's authority. Whenever they're anywhere. When the, last night when I wanted that little girl to, where's the mother? Who's your mom? Who are you here with? You got your parents here? You must have, God never crosses lines of authority, folks. He's, you don't grab folks' kids and start <laughs> doing nothing with them without the parents' consent. That's a God-given authority in the earth. And so Jesus can't cross that. So this is why he has a little chat with the dad. He says, yeah, how often is this? And what happens is the father begins to warm up to Jesus. Very important. Very important. Because part of releasing people from unbelief 
is that they, number one, feel the minister cares. This is the problem with this man right here. Because he said, if you can do anything, have compassion. Show me you care about me, Jesus. See, he's been, his complaint is, I gave me your disciples, they couldn't do anything. He thinks they don't care about us. And Jesus can read it. He reads everybody accurately. So he starts talking. He says, let me let this guy tell me his story so that I can gain his confidence. Huh? Remember, unbelief is refusing to put confidence in somebody. And so Jesus then gains, do, does what he can to gain this man's confidence and his permission to minister to this little boy. And he, does, he, he take, gets two birds with one stone. So he comes in and he finds that, that this situation is full of chaos and he sees what it's doing to the boy. And now he's, he's got to break down the resistance in the dad so the dad's able to trust him. Anybody ever been to three or four doctors and they keep giving you to run around they can't find what's wrong with you? Well, you're losing confidence in them, whether you know it or not. You may drag yourself to another one, but one more, more no answer might push you over the edge. And so that's the way this man is. He doesn't want to get another no answer. So he says, <clears throat> if you can believe, Jesus tells him, all things are possible to him that believeth. In other words, Jesus tells him, you don't have to be anybody special. You don't have to be anybody <clears throat> important. He doesn't know what the scribes might have put in his head. You know, oftentimes in religious churches, they want to, uh, are you a member here? Are you a tither? You know, you can only have certain things are only given to members and tithers, you see. And so whenever you meet that unbelief and that exclusivity and that thing that want to cast you out, that thing leaves an impression on you. And so this man is probably used to being pushed around the synagogue because his boy is so far gone. And so Jesus says, only stipulation I have for you is can you believe? And this man's saying, he says, I believe some, but help my unbelief. He's honest. He says, I can believe you some. In other words, something has happened in my life that has caused me not to trust ministers, caused me not to trust in the supernatural caused me not well i went to many healing meetings and and i never got healed yet and why 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 should i trust again why should i go to the altar one more time huh and so there is that resistance that unbelief that drawing your faith back out of the situation where it could be invested in the situation and so jesus says and straight away the father said Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And Jesus saw the people came running together, and he rebuked the foul spirit, saying to him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, What? He is dead. So here's a tough crowd. They even put pressure on Jesus. Jesus had to hurry up and get that devil cast out of that boy before unbelief came running up to him. The spectacle people just wanting to be there to see a show. And so they see that boy down on the ground and they're running up there trying to make a big do about that and talk there. Oh, he's never going to get healed. Look at that. Look at that. Look at what they are. Ah. Jesus 
cast that devil out real quick and gets that boy 100% free. And he says, Jesus took him up by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? In one account of this, I think it's the one over in Matthew, Jesus answers them and says it's because of your unbelief. Hmm? says because of your unbelief where is that one can somebody find that for me real quick i think it's matthew yeah hang on i think it's eight is it matthew 18 Yeah, in Matthew 17, verse 20, verse 19, then the disciples to Jesus came apart and said, why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief, not the unbelief in the crowd, but your unbelief. I say to you, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Howbeit, that kind goes out not but by prayer and fasting. He's talking about unbelief, not the kind of devil the little boy had. Okay, don't get it twisted, because you don't have time to come and check out and see somebody manifest on the floor and then go home and fast and pray. And then he might be dead by the time you get back. So let's get our heads on straight here. You don't fast and pray for specific kind of devils. You fast and pray to get rid of unbelief. Huh? You quit eating for a while and the Holy Ghost will get real strong in you. Huh? Now I do it as a routine when we, I, you know, I just lose appetite. I don't even have to fight myself anymore. You know, it just goes. And I know that I have to get more attentive, fill myself up with the word and all of those things so that I can be on point for God and I can be more alert to the spirit and not so much to the things of the flesh. And so denying your flesh is is fasting. Huh? Married people, you know, you got to have an understanding spouse because you can't have sex when you're fasting. Oh, yeah, right. Everybody leave now. Get me a drink of water. You read your Bible. It says with consent for a time of fasting and prayer. So you consent to that. You can exhale now, okay? Jeez. Act like I murdered somebody. Huh? These things you should know already, kids. Amen? But it is. You consecrate yourself totally to the Lord. Huh? And... Uh, that's why it's good to marry a believer and i mean a real believer huh <laughs> not a church boy or a church girl but a real believer huh <laughs> yeah yeah so when god wants your attention he wants all your attention folks yeah so he says this kind comes out by nothing but prayer and fasting so it makes it easier then for you to yield your spirit over to God. Remember in the beginning we said unbelief is a, a way to withdraw your faith 
from a certain idea or a certain promise or something like that. So fasting allows you to be more agreeable with God. Kind of like you don't say no to anything. You say, oh, God, you want to do that? It's great. Can I come? You know, it's like a, a, you know, a little picnic where you can see all the things that God wants to do and all the things God's going to do. And you want to participate in it. So your faith is working hand in hand with God's faith. And it's a wonderful thing to see that happen. Praise God. How much time do I have back there? Five? Only five? (laughs) Praise the Lord. Okay. So Jesus here talks about unbelief being the root of why they could not cast that little kid out. Now, unbelief will cause you to tolerate foolishness from the devil. If you withdraw your faith from God, you are more susceptible to what the enemy is doing and you're more susceptible to his foolishness. You begin to tolerate more. You put fewer restrictions on things. You take less control over things. People who don't have a confidence in God and and are in unbelief are kind of open to anything. But once all of your confidence is invested in God, you will stay focused so that that confidence stays 100% invested in God. And you're not just so open to suggestions all the time. And this is where the disciples lost it. They, instead of them dealing with that boy themselves, they started allowing their faith to get scattered over into what the scribes were involved in. You've got to stay focused so that when the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you as to what to say and how to deal with that situation, you'll be 100% invested in that and you won't be scattered. And so that's one of the things that unbelief does. It scatters your faith into several different areas. That's why many times I'll tell people, I said, well, you can't believe in this and that at the same time. You've got to have it all 100% in God or it's not invested at all. You know, as many times we'll say, for instance, you'll, you'll be looking for a job and you'll, you'll have a, say you'll have somebody at your, your job is telling you, well, uh, we'll have an opening here in six months and you'll be able to, uh, to, to get that opening in six months. What happens to your faith? When somebody sets a time on it, what do you do with your faith? Say, for instance, you've been praying for it every day. You've, you've given, you've given uh, offering seed toward it and all this. And then somebody comes along and says it'll open up in six months. I guarantee you, whether you know it or not, you have withdrawn your faith for, from it. And you're waiting now for six months to come so you can stick your faith back in it. The deception of time. Huh? It's a deception of time. Because time can be, uh, having a date and a time on something can work for you or it can work against you. I'll tell people, I said, listen, that can happen anytime. I don't care what they say. See, they think, you think they're doing you a favor by telling you kind of relax. Oh, wow, I don't have to sweat this. I know it's coming up in six months. But talk to me in six months, and I'll tell you, you probably don't have it. Because you re- withdrew your faith from it six months ago. 
So now six months has come. Now you've got to suddenly inject all your faith back in it again and see if it will come to you. So you have to be careful about things like that. You have to be 100% invested because you can be converted and receive that thing at any time. Jesus said that. He says, you can see with your eyes, hear with your ears, understand with your heart, be converted, and I heal you. I give you what you want, make you whole, restore you, make you wealthy, whatever it is. So it's good not to mess around with putting your faith here and putting it there, relaxing your faith. Oh, I've got a promise over here from man in the natural. Oh, come now. You're smarter than that. And so we have to be careful, folks, to make sure we don't play around with this unbelief thing because Jesus wants to help it. If it gets real bad, you turn your plate down. If you're married, you say goodnight to each other. Consent for a season. You got me? And, and let God deal with that unbelief and get you to the place where you can fully invest yourself in that promise so that what you're waiting on which I don't believe in the waiting game. You know, go find, don't say you're waiting, but say you're winting, say you're whatever, but get yourself involved in faith that's not waiting. Get your faith involved in something that's, that's non-threatening for you to get involved in. Huh? I had a starter on my car that, that was going bad, and I used that as my faith project. I believe God to keep that thing going for at least six years. Huh? That's the worst starter in the world when they took it out of there huh? because it had been prayed over, confessed over, believed, and started up anyway when it was supposed to be dead and all that. But I refused to let my faith go in it because I thought it was doing me good to keep my faith in it. And it does do me good to keep it in there. Amen? It does you good to keep your faith invested in it. So I don't play them tricks, you know, because pretty soon we'll be back dependent upon the natural again. And it's not that I didn't have the money. But I can figure a lot of things more to spend my money on. In fact, somebody offered to pay for, for the thing. I think Matt gave me a Christmas card with a, had a picture of a starter in there. I'll get it done for you. said, and I refused to let go of my faith huh? because it was more important for me to keep my faith invested in something than to withdraw it because here's a natural remedy coming. And really, I was a little upset when I did finally let it go. You, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm still in me, I want to see how far I could go resisting unbelief and resisting the natural and resisting the things that we lean on sometimes in the natural to help us. And so if we will, folks, God will help these unbelieving things for us. He'll help it. He helps it through prayer and fasting for sure. He helps it definitely through feeding on the word. But when the word of God goes forth, I don't care if it's good, bad, and different, if it slaps you upside your head, if it whoops you, if it talks bad about your mama, I don't care what it does. You better invest your faith in it. Let that word sink into you so that when you go out, you're equipped for every, you can't afford to pick and choose what you believe in God's word. You've got to believe it all, folks. You've got to believe it all. Because it's coming towards you, and it's coming to, to you for your good. So invest your faith in it. Amen. Fight that unbelief. Praise God. Amen. So why don't we start some music. Amen.